Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is another creation-inspired episode. This is going to be our second episode in this series. In this series, we are highlighting things that have been inspired by creation, things that God has made well that humans have looked at and brought them into our everyday lives. In the last episode, we looked at hook and loop fasteners, or Velcro, as most of us know it, And today, we're going to be looking at paper. You know, Ben, I'm going to be the first to admit that I probably take paper for granted. Just being able to to grab a wad of old newspaper or computer paper to get a fire started in the fireplace to keep the house warm, or just writing notes down for the podcast. Paper is always available. It's cheap. Go through thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sheets in our lives, if, if we were probably to count it. So it is cool to see that it was inspired by something in creation. Yeah, I mean, while doing research, digging into figuring out how to make paper at a rate at which we can buy it today. Like, I go to Walmart, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sheets of paper. And I take it for granted, too, because I love journals. And sometimes in my journals, I just have one word on a sheet, and I flip the page. Like, I love a clean, fresh sheet, and so I waste a lot of paper in it. I just take it for granted. We don't know what it would be like to not have paper like people have in the past. That'd be crazy. Sometimes I just want to tell you there's an app for that. Well, you can journal and note on your phone. I know, but save a tree, save a life. That may all go away one day, Brian. <laughs> it may all go away one day, and you'll still have your journals. That's right. That's right. You know, I think it's important to understand that when we're talking about paper being inspired by creation. We're talking about the paper, the type of paper, and the way that it is produced today. So what is used to make paper, which is wood, and the way that it's processed today, which which is basically making a a pulp out of it and allowing it to to be smashed and dried and removing the water, that process is the process we're talking about. And the reason I want to make that clear is because paper itself has been around a lot longer than wood pulp paper that we're going to be highlighting today. Paper was actually first thought to be invented over 2,000 years ago in China, around the year A.D. 105. But what was different then was, one, they couldn't mass produce it. And they were using bamboo, and they were using like silk, which was really expensive, and this bamboo was really heavy, didn't really hold up, and they couldn't mass produce it. As a matter of fact, they would have to break down this bamboo and silk. They were using like old fishing nets and things like that. They were, they were recycling they were breaking it down in these massive, huge vats, bigger than people, for three months at a time. And then they would take it out, and then they would break it up and mash it down into a pulp. And once they did that, they basically had a, a picture like a wooden picture frame, but it was made out of bamboo with some screen in the middle of it. And they would lay this pulp that they took over 90 days to make and allow the sun to dry it out. And then once they did that, they would peel their 20 or 25 sheets off and then start the process over again to get another 20, 25 sheets. And it wasn't something for everyday people to have. It was just for the wealthy, kings and and queens and wealthy people. And they didn't use it for everyday tasks. They were just using it for really important things like writing prayers and things down on. You know, I can even think of curtains, 
towels like clothing. Like, you know, we we write on these things. We embroider. Right now, Brian's wearing a vest that has uh, our logo on it. It's embroidered. And to think about, like, that is a form of communication. It is documentation. But if I was like, hey, Brian, I want you to write me directions to get from one side of America to the other, you couldn't embroider all that on that jacket. So, And this was a lot more expensive. And it was a lot more expensive, <laughs> right? It's a lot harder to embroider. I'm just, I'm, my mind is still so blown at <laughs> how awesome paper is and, and how we take it for granted that we use it every single day. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I should say it should Cheap. be more expensive, but we actually had a family member step up and do that. Thank you, family. Us, so it didn't yes. cost us anything. Thank you, family. But embroidering is pretty expensive, a lot more expensive than, than taking a pencil and writing on a, a so sheet ta- of paper. So talking about paper then, you know, the steps of, of making it, you were talking about like bamboo um, but it's it's coming from plants, right? right? Yeah, not it, not animals. We're not going to be able to make paper any other way. Correct. And they they looked at that. People were trying to look at that. But really, making paper was breaking down some kind of uh, organic material and letting it dry, uh, making it into a pulp and letting it dry on a flat surface, and then and then having it to write on. But we could say it's it was for documentation. Correct. Because like I was saying, they had curtains and they could dye them. They could put ink on them. They had all those fabrics. But we're talking about a method of documentation. Right. Okay. Ma- uh, of mass production. Of mass and production, right. So how this came about was actually an en- uh, entomologist, so somebody who studies insects, watching wasps. In particular, a group of wasps called papermaking wasps. So if, if you look out in most of the wasp nests that people go to knock down, those are paper wasps, made by paper wasps. And it is actually a group of wasps. There's over, over 1,100 species of paper wasps. So there's a lot of them out there. They're very popular. I'm sure probably anywhere you live in the world that you have seen and or encountered paper-making wasps. And the name of the entomologist was, he was French. It was Rene Antoine Remure. That's the best I'm going to pronounce it. I don't even know if I want to try again. <laughs> and I didn't pronounce it with a French accent. I think it sounded great. Okay. And he was actually a chemist, a naturalist, an entomologist. Um, and he was hired to really study how to improve materials, things like metals. And one of the things that he came across, he was out one day and he was watching, this was in the 1700s, he was watching these wasps, these paper wasps work. And he was watching them break down dead pieces of wood, literally taking bites of it, breaking it down, adding saliva to it, and adding layer after layer of this wood and saliva pulp to make their nests. Well, then he kind of had the thought, well, you know what? That's pretty durable. Like, they are raising their larvae and they're young in this. It's it's hanging up. It supports their weight as they're climbing on it. This is a pretty cool thing. And as you take one down and, and feel it, it feels like paper. It has that white appearance. Man, could we replicate this process? Could we break down wood and make it a pulp and then dry it out and use it too? And it turns out that is basically the process that we use today is almost the exact same process that wasps use. That is so awesome. I'm sitting here thinking about wasps are using paper for their shelter. So if we were to take paper and go put it up for our shelter, <laughs> it wouldn't last for us like it does for wasp. Well, I want you to notice all the places that you find. Next time you go out and you find a wasp nest, look at the places that you find those wasp nests under mm. awnings, maybe under a big leaf on a tree, up under your porch, under your soffit. They're under all these places because it is not compatible with water, as you know your paper isn't, because 
you have to get wood wet to make it into a pulp. When you re-wet it after it's paper, it, it doesn't go so well. You're no. working backwards. So they, they understand that. Wasps understand that they they have made... I shouldn't say they understand it. They they get that they can't survive if their nest where they grow their larvae is being destroyed by water. So they, they build it in places where it's less likely to get destroyed. Yeah, and you saying that, I'm thinking about all the places on my house that I've found them, had to spray them. Um, matter of fact, one that got me this, just this last summer was I was mowing around my trampoline, and I was on the mower, and um, under the trampoline was a piece of string hanging down. Uh, it was actually, uh, the string was used to tie on the, the protective mat over the springs, and that that nest was attached to that string, but me just driving by it that close sent one out, stung me right on my hand. Yeah, you deserved it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Guess you, what I did? Well, you you probably took care of the oh, nest. I wiped it out. You yeah, it yeah, it's gone. Ben, I want you to take us on a little bit of a tangent here before we really get into comparing how wasps make paper and how we make modern paper today. And the tangent I want you to take us on is what in the world is the difference between a wasp, a hornet, and a bee? Yeah, I'll do my best, and and I'm definitely want Brian to add in here as we go. So, you have wasps and you have bees. Under the wasp category, you can find wasps and hornets. Yes, hornets are known as a subspecies of wasps. So, not all wasps are hornets, but all hornets are wasps. Bingo. Boom. So there's that category. We're just going to leave it right there. And then you have bees. Okay. So here are some examples of bees that you've probably heard of. Honey. So honey bees. You have carpenter bees. And I'll just say bumble bees. Those, those are probably the three most well-known. But I right. do want to add this in. Yep. There are 25,000 species of bees in the world. 25,000. That's why I just named only three. <laughs> <laughs> those are the ones that are, are, are you know very familiar with. So, looking at bees versus wasps, going back to wasps, we have paper wasps that you're talking about. We have yellow jackets, which yellow jackets have always been a pest of mine, uh, running summer camps in the outdoors. These guys are very aggressive. They live in the ground, and I have had so many people get stung by them. Mm-hmm. So, But yellow jacket is a type of wasp. You get into mud daubers. Mud daubers is a type of wasp. Then you have the bald-faced hornet. Which is a type of wasp? I at the end of the day, I think there's 1,100 different types of wasp. Brian, right. is that right? So I'm gonna stop there. Well, there's 1,100 just types of paper wasps. Just paper wasps. That doesn't gotcha. even include your your mud daubers and all those. Right. So here's some differences though between them. So you can kind of when you see one, know what we're talking about here. So most of your bees are going to be very hairy, mm-hmm. hair-like. Now when we get into the hornet wasp side. Your wasps usually don't have any hair. Hornets might have a little bit of hair on it, but if you're seeing a full-bodied, haired, flying insect, it's probably a bee, okay? On the wasp side, they're going to be a lot more skinnier and slender. You know, the bee's going to be more fat and round. Bees, you're going to find them, you know, we know that they carry pollen. That's what we were taught when we were at a young age. But these guys are vegans, okay? They only like plants. That's all they want. They're going to be flying back and forth with all the pretty flowers. We get on the wasp side, the hornets, they are carnivores. They like to kill things like wasps. 
main reason is they put them in the nest for uh, their eggs. They'll put their egg in one, put it up in that nest, and in the wintertime, they do their deal. They come out, and now we have wasps. So mm-hmm. wasps, hornets, those guys are going to be making shelters. Could be paper, could be made out of mud. Um, in the ground, they use the ground, holes in the ground, holes in trees. On the bees, what do bees make? What are their shelters, Brian? So bees are really going to have combs, uh, hives. They're going to have their combs within their hives uh, where they produce their honey for honeybees. And I, I do want to point out that it is. I have heard it taught and said a lot of times that honeybees are the only bees that produce honey, and that isn't true. Honeybees are the only bees that produce enough honey really to be noticed for us to harvest, that they have to... They have these big colonies, bigger than other bee species, so they have to have these mass amounts to honey of honey when there's no nectar to get all of the colony through the cold winter months. But even bumblebees, they produce honey. It's just in very, um, very small amounts. Right. That's good. That's good. I I actually thought that only honeybees made honey. Um, the, and there's so many things that I've learned in this as well. I didn't realize that, um, like the aggressiveness of different types of wasps mm-hmm. you know i knew that uh mud daubers really didn't bother me didn't really mess with me um so then i got to thinking they don't sting at all but come to find out all of them sting mm-hmm. um a dirt dauber excuse me a mud dauber um they're going to sting you if you're really placing if you're like let's say that you have it on your arm and you smash it on your arm they're going to sting you but otherwise they're really not aggressive but then you flip to the other scale the yellow jackets they defend their territory their nest the place that they're living yeah, um, they, they've wreaked some terror on me before. Yeah, <laughs> it's oh, they absolutely really do. Horrible. Now, help us understand the stinging part here. So, both bees, wasps, hornets—they're stinging. Mm-hmm. Um, people have different allergies to them. Some are deathly allergic to bees. Just because you're stung by a bumblebee actually doesn't mean that you are allergic to the honeybee or the carpenter bee. It's you have an allergy to that specific bee. But most people aren't allergic to wasps. It's usually bees. But there are people that are allergic to all of them. Right, yeah. And it's just like all allergies. Your mm-hmm. your reaction, your body's systemic reaction to that varies depending on your biological factors. Uh, but help us here. Do, do only females sting or can every single well, kind Well, so sting? with bees, we don't really see what goes on in the hives, right? You've got your, your drones and your queen and all that doing the hive work. And the queens are the only ones that are actually laying the eggs. And what we see are the worker bees. And worker bees are females. And so most of the time when people are getting stung, they're getting stung by the females. And they are the ones with with stingers. You know, if you go and you start reading and learning, you're going to find some opposing information um, that I'm going to disagree with. And, and here's why. A lot of scientists are going to share that all of these female worker bees that have stingers, they have stingers because of evolution, that they used to all lay eggs, and it's some kind of egg-laying appendage from evolution. Well, for me, I'm going to say, well, look, they're the only ones that go out of the hive. It's imperative that they come back with the nectar and the pollen that they're going out and getting. It's imperative. So they need something to defend themselves. So, of course, the ones that are going out, just like when we send people to war to battle, we give them weapons. God gave them weapons to go out and about so that they can get back to the hive because we all know how imperative honeybee survival is to our world, to mm-hmm. so many things. Mm-hmm. So personally for me, 
I'm not going to give the, any credit to evolution on that. I'm going to say God gave them these stingers so that bees continue to reproduce, so that they survive. Yeah. Well, I mean, we use both the honey and the bees' wax. They're they're very. We as humans need them. Got to have mm-hmm. them. Um, also, though, I want to share that that all of these species here are warm weather. Mm-hmm. So we don't find them in the cold months. If you do they're probably dying in the act of dying. And what I mean is there's been some warm days here that I've opened up my doors and and as I'm going out, I've had them like on the ground moving so slow, slow, you know, so, um, but they're a warm weather. Um, There is another wasp that I want to share. It's actually called a cicada killer. I didn't know we had these. I didn't even know this was a a type, Um, but those cicadas, they come out in the summer months. They are so loud so loud but there is an actual wasp that attacks them actually kills them and uses them so an egg is actually deposited on each cicada and they then they close that cell off on their nest so that cicada then um, is that food source is that wasp is born there's just the more that i dig into wasps and bees and hornets these creatures are so amazing i, I my mind is blown you know some other examples brian um Sweat bees, uh, these little guys, they come out. I'm like, why are you liking my soda cans? You know, why are you over here messing with me while I'm eating my food? You know, bees are actually attracted to a lot of the foods we eat. So we do have to be careful. That's that interaction between creation and, and humans. We have to be careful. Most of the time, though, wasps, hornets, they're not coming over here to check out your food. So really doesn't become a problem for us as humans until we get into our own shelters. And that's why... Wasps, hornets, we're always looking out for their nests on our homes. If you see them out in the wild, leave them alone. If they're on your homes, definitely remove them so they don't harm you or your family. But most of the time, bees are going to be away from your homes. We're only probably going to see them when we're starting to bring out the sweet drinks, the foods. Wasps, on the other hand, we cohabitate with them um, with our homes. So, Yeah, absolutely, because a run-in... A run-in with a, a angry wad of wasps never leads to a good day. No. I've had multiple days ruined uh, by experiences with that. And, yeah, you brought up those yellow jackets. And I've got some friends that could probably tell some really funny stories of me ripping my clothes off because I've got them stuck in my clothes and everything else. But we won't go all the way down no. that road. <laughs> no, because, you know, I actually didn't think that wasps could sting through clothing. Yeah. But a red wasp landed on my stomach on the outside of my T-shirt, and I'm here to tell you. He got me, got me good. It went through my t-shirt, <laughs> like no yeah. problem. So, well, the the wasps, the hornets, wasps, they they all have smooth stingers, so they they can go through clothing and and not get caught. That's also why they can sting multiple times. And unlike the honeybee, where they can really only sting a human once and then it dies, they they keep their stingers, so they can keep stinging. They're, it's not going to kill wasps and hornets to sting. Um, honeybees. It's really only an issue with humans. When they sting other animals, other animals either have a fur or a soft, lighter skin that even though they have this uh, barbed stinger, it's not sticking and ripping out of their bodies like it is for humans. But it's just because of our tough, thick skin that it actually sticks and rips off of their body and, and causes them to die. In my mind, I'd pictured that it was if they sting anything, but it's really only if they sting humans. That's good. I hadn't heard that either. Yeah. Brian, I want to be clear here. I, I think I may have said shelter, um, but I want to be clear. So wasps, paper wasps, they're actually making nests. 
that's what they're making. They're not making shelters for them to live in. Yeah. It's you shelters know, for their young, for their larvae. For their larvae, yeah. right, correct. You know, because I do want to separate, you know, I have found hornet's nest out in the wild, but that is their home. Like the the group, I don't have the 30 to 100, however many there are, they are inside. They are making this nest when they're making it for them mm-hmm. to be inside of for everything, for from the larva to, to be raised, um, to also kind of protect them as well. But wasps are actually going to be in holes in the ground. They may be in holes in the tree. Um, I've actually got a neighbor that has yellow jackets at the root of his oak tree. So right at the base of this root, there's a hole in the ground. And actually the other day, the temperature was about 40, it's a little under 40 degrees. And the <laughs> these yellow jackets surrounded that whole entire hole. All their heads were peeking out of this hole. Craziest thing I've ever seen. But again, they're in the ground. They're in holes. They're not going, wasps are not going to be making these shelters to, to live in um, them physically. That's a really good point, Ben. When I was younger... I thought that that's where wasps live. You see them so active around it, but it's just part of their reproduction cycle. They're building these, and they will actually add on to them. As the larvae grow bigger and bigger, they're going to make this paper in their in their mouths and keep adding it to uh, the nest so that the larva has a place to grow. So I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out that's really just for reproduction and not really for, for them to live in. So um, let's look at the exact process that was observed by the French scientist René Antoine Remer to develop wood pulp paper like we have today. So let's look at and review exactly what wasps do to make their nests. So basically they're going to find some dead or decaying wood. They're not looking for green. Um, They'll chunk it off and they're going to chew up this wood. They're going to break it down with their mouths to tiny little fibers, just the base fibers of wood and they're going to add all their saliva, and it's going to have enzymes and proteins in it that's going to start to bond all the fibers of this broken down wood together. And then they literally lay it out where they want it. They lay it out in the shape that they want it. They just push it out of their mouths, and as time starts to pass, all this pulp that has been laid out starts to harden and dry, and it forms to the shape that they've laid it out in. And that's literally how they get their nests. They chew up dead wood, add proteins and enzymes that are already in their body to it, let it dry, and they have a paper nest. So it seems like a simple process, right? So our modern process of making paper today is we break down wood to its fiber level, all the way down to the very fiber level, um, and it's just as small as we can possibly get it. Shavings, dust, and then we add fluid to it, mostly water, um, and that allows the wood fibers that we've broken down to to absorb all of this water And because of elements, uh, compounds that are in the wood, when we add the water, it all starts to clump up and adhere and stick together. And that's where you get this pulp. And then you have to pull all this pulp out and you have to allow for it to dry. And as it's drying, it's bonding more and more together. And for me, this whole process is a testament to we're not really adding anything that we made. It's all stuff that God created. We've got water. You've got compounds that are already in the wood. We're breaking down the wood and compounds that are in it when water is added causes it to clump and adhere back together. It goes through this drying cycle and then we mash it down. We really just mash it down flat once it starts to be mostly dry to get all the excess water out as possible because the more water that is removed, the more adhered together that it is. And that's what you get. You get this. It's hard to look at a white sheet of paper and it's so dense and everything is so 
stuck together to even picture that it's wood. It, it's it's easy to forget. There are some websites. It's actually an activity that you and and you can do with your kids. You can actually make homemade paper. Um, get on, try it. It's it doesn't look like the printer paper <laughs> that we have, but you can make paper today. Ben, speaking of paper today, this is what I want to end with right here. You know, you hear all the time people say, well, it's God's plan. God has a plan. God's plan is better than ours. As we're sharing this, looking at how this came about in the 1700s by observing wasps, it just it seems far-fetched. It seems crazy, mm-hmm. but it's, it's very documented. The number one selling book in the world is the Holy Bible. God wants his word in our hand. He wants us to live. He is the word. If you look at John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God's word is on paper today. It is on paper. The easiest way to hear from God is to pick up your Bible and read his word off of the paper. So if Rene Antoine Ramir had never went out and observed these wasps, what we may not have these Bibles filled with God's Word. We not we may not have God on paper like we do today. So I'm just so thankful to see His plan play out because I start my day every single day with that Word, and if I don't, my day stinks. And so I'm so thankful that through His creation, He revealed to us His Word. And it's just cool to look and, and see these stories play out because um, it's so big and, and so complex, yet so simple. How could we possibly dream up something like this and and the answer is that we couldn't because he is divine and his plan is perfect and it's so much bigger and more superior than anything that we could ever come up with so with that being said i'm I'm so thankful for paper that is going to be it for this episode of the meant to be outdoors podcast i do hope you guys are enjoying this new series i know ben you and i have really had a lot of fun with just these first couple episodes Mm -hmm. diving in to the research and it, we just keep looking up at each other of sharing oh my gosh did you know this did you know this so it is really cool to dive into some of these topics it's even more important for us to share them with you uh, it makes our, our hearts happy put smiles on our face so i hope that you all are enjoying it as well if you want to support us some of the best ways to do that one follow us on social media facebook instagram tiktok whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on please hit the automatic download button subscribe as well if you could stop and leave us a review that would be so helpful to us that helps us move up the chart so that when people are looking uh, for podcasts in the outdoor and and nature area they find the meant to be outdoors podcast we really want to we want to grow this so we can keep doing it and get more listeners on board as well again we are so thankful that you guys come back each and every week and listen we will be back on thursday with a brand new episode about winter fly fishing we had a guest on with us we're so excited to share that with you that is going to be it for this episode of the meant to be outdoors podcast and as always between now and our next episode we hope that you find time to get outdoors thank you for listening to the meant to be outdoors podcast hosted by brian hoffmeyer and ben brandell please help us by subscribing also follow along on tiktok instagram and facebook